Welcome to the VIP Jazzwall Report. Pastors and priests are known to spread the Word of God. They inspire us through understanding the Word of God. But today, there's one pastor who's used the Word of God to motivate us in order for us to be the best we can be. He uses the Bible to help us achieve success in any walk of life we desire. I found this interesting because I always thought religion was about the relationship between me and God, but I never realized that God could help me achieve my own ambitions. Of course, every time I buy a lottery ticket, I say a quick prayer, hoping God will listen and take mercy, but I never thought God had any interest in my success. It was my understanding that God only wanted my faith in Him, and that was that. Well, today our guest is Pastor Keith Croft of Elevated Life Church in Texas. He's written a book called your divine fingerprint. Pastor Croft has shared the stage with world leaders like Bush, Clinton, Thatcher, Gorbachev, and Forbes. He claims that his book will help unleash our God-given potential for success. Welcome to the show, Pastor Croft. It's great to be with you, Vip. Thank you so much for having me. Well, so just for clarity, um, is it Croft or Kraft? It's Kraft. It's Kraft. Okay. That's the British in me, I guess. Yeah. I do like your sound better, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I liked your book. It's an easy read, especially for me, considering I have the attention span of a lightning bolt. But thank you for being here. Well, it's an honor to be with you and with your uh, great audience. Well, most pastors use God's Word to inspire their congregation, but your book uses God's Word to motivate. You're a leadership coach and a strategist. Now, what you've done here in this book is very clever because you've actually combined two very passionate instincts of man into one, Uh, these two instincts being the love of God and the love of oneself. And I think it's pure genius because what you're saying here is that God does have an interest in my development. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. He does. And I think it's important for, for really people to understand that at the end of their fingertip mm-hmm. um, is the evidence of that. Could you explain? Well, you you know, my father, I grew up, and my father was a Dallas policeman. He was um, one of the original guys who were up in the Texas Book Depository at the JFK assassination. He found Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle. He found his chicken box. Um, you know, he you could just say he was an early crime scene investigator. And uh, growing up in that type of home, I just began to realize, I remember one, one day we were at the uh, Dallas police headquarters, and uh, he was fingerprinting me just for fun. I was just a kid. It was late 1960s, and it was before the big computers, so it looked like miles and miles of files in this huge warehouse room uh, in the basement of the Dallas Police Department. And as he's fingerprinting me, I said, Dad, why do, why do you fingerprint people? He said, well... We do this because it identifies them at the scene of a crime. And, uh, and I, it began a thought process. I can remember asking him, is that the only reason people have a fingerprint is so they can be identified for something bad that they've done? And just through the years, I began to realize that, my, as my dad taught me, that you have a unique fingerprint that nobody's ever had, that nobody ever will have. And you, it's really a divine fingerprint. And God didn't give you your fingerprint just so you could be identified for something wrong that you've done, but literally so his greatness can flow through the, 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 the tips of your hands through your fingerprint. Now, you started your book with a quote that says, it's not our moments that define us, but our choices that distinguish us. Right? That's correct. 
Um, I just want to ask you on that um, because I think it is it is our moments that define us. I mean, take 9-11, for example. From that moment on, we decided to choose to pursue a war against terror. The moment defined the choice. We never started the war against terror. That moment did. Yeah, there there are defining moments, but the moments don't have to define you. The, the, the premise is that, that you do have a choice. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't just allow, while our moments determine our choices, the power is in the choice, not in the moment. And that's what's so significant, and that's where your divine fingerprint becomes so important, is that you don't just have something that defines you. You say, okay, and in this context that you brought up, uh, we're going to do something about what just happened. In other words, the moment may have helped determine and dictate the choice, but the, but the problem is too many people don't realize the power of that choice. So as a country, uh, we made a decision based on what did happen, the actions that we were going to take. I think, I think sometimes that, that people don't understand the power that they have to define that moment rather than the moment defining them. They're just, they become a victim of the moment. America is not a victim of 9-11. We are in the sense that it happened, but, but most, time, most of the time people, when something like that happens, they allow the moment to overwhelm them and to, to make them reactive rather than proactive. And it's just like medicine. You know, if you take medicine, mm-hmm. uh, you either have a reaction to the medicine, which is negative, or you have a positive reaction. You know, it's, your body responds positively, and the medicine helps you. And so there's a difference between living on the reactive side of life and the proactive side of life. And I think when a moment happens, you have the power to become very proactive and make a choice, and that is, that's what's so important about your fingerprint. Give me an example in your life where it wasn't the moment that defined you, but the choice that distinguished you. Um, I think in my own personal life, it's, it's, it's a realization that, you know, starting early for me, and I tell the story about how uh, as a, a little boy I suffocated to death in a plastic bag. It was on the front page of the Dallas Morning News. Um, I had a, a grandmother who actually prayed me back to life. It was a bona fide miracle. And I think living with that revelation of that I was dead, I was dead for almost over an hour. How old were you when that happened? I was just one year old. So I don't have a, a recollection of that. But the power of that moment for me my, in my whole life is I've lived with a realization that I should be dead. And so the 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 defining moment um, is bigger than just me coming back to life. But I had a, a grandmother, and I tell the story who who had been through divorce. She she'd had cancer, but she didn't let any of that stop her. And she she took that that moment of death that should have been a defining moment, and she she became unstoppable because she still prayed. She still believed. She took her fingerprints, wrapped them around me, prayed for me. And after the oxygen failed, after mouth-to-mouth resuscitation failed, after they pronounced me dead on the scene, she continued to pray, and I was brought back to life. And so living with that, that, that understanding in my, in my life, I've realized that I have the power, even in facing death, to, to, to take whatever happens in your life 
that's negative or positive and turn that into positive momentum so that it becomes a miracle. Well, talking about prayer, your book mentions that religion is man-made, but the relationship with God is God-given. Um, I'm not sure I agree because from my perspective, um, my religion is God-given. I was born into it, but my relationship with God is man-made, i.e., it's my choice to what extent I have a relationship with God, isn't it? Or what am I missing here? Well, I think, I think religion as a concept mm. is, is man's attempt to, to reach out to God. But before man ever reached out to God, God reached out to man. And so, you know, in, in being a Christian, I don't believe that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to establish a religion uh, to compete against other religions. And I don't think he came to the earth to die on a cross to establish a religion called Christianity. I believe he is God's son. I believe he was sent from God to heaven, from heaven to earth, to bring God's super into our natural, to bring our fingerprint into a divine fingerprint, to be touched by him. And for those who believe what's activated in their life is not a religious experience, but the spiritual dimension of who they are is awakened. And so within every man, is not he's not just a physical man. He's not just an emotional man, but every man, every woman is a spiritual person. And so your spirit can only be activated by God. And it's, it's again, it comes to you making the choice to activate your spirit. So it's more than the concept of religion. That's all we know to call it as man. Uh, it's, there are many religions, but there's one true God. And, and, of course, as a Christian, I believe that Jesus Christ is the one true God. And that, that if we'll reach out to him, if we'll believe in him, if we'll confess that he is Lord, then it activates that spirit part of us that transcends religion but awakens us to the spiritual dimension of life. Now, in your book, you use a lot of quotes from the Bible. Does that mean that your audience have to be Christian only because only a Christian will be able to relate to what message you have in the book? Um, you know, my my heart is that um, is that people that hopefully through this book that it, it points people ultimately towards Christ, of course, but. I certainly speak to many people every day and every week, uh, sometimes up to 100,000 people in a week. Um, this is in your motivational speaker role, right? Yes, that's correct. And and challenging them to just be a believer. You know, you, you can live on the unbelief side of life, and, and there's a lot of, as we've already talked about, defining moments, whether it's divorce or whether it's brokenness or whether it's abuse or or some type of of unfathomable horror that happens that 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 causes us not to believe. But the greatest part of you is your belief. It's what you believe about yourself. It's what you believe about God. It's what you believe about politics, sex. You know, it doesn't matter. Finances, relationships. What you believe is more important than what anybody will ever tell you. And my challenge is just to encourage people to believe, be believers. Now, in, in the quotations you've used from the Bible in, in your book, um, 
do you think there would be similar quotations from different religions that could apply? Well, here's if what you I franchised believe. out your book, yeah, and uh, here's you know, what I believe. and and, I believe. and someone in Saudi said, "I'll I'll take it from here, but I'll, I'll need to change the quotes from the Bible to the Quran." Right. Well, well, here's what I would here's what I would say to that. I believe all truth is God's truth. So, um, in other words, uh, let's just take Stephen Covey. Okay, Stephen Covey was a Mormon. Um, Stephen Covey said, you know, you need to, in, in his in his book, uh, you know, he said, you need to seek to understand before you, you seek to be understood. Well, again, that's a truth. So, it doesn't matter where the truth is. All truth is God's truth. But, so so whether somebody's listening that, that may be of a different um, you know, religion. I'm not here in my book. It's not here to promote a religion. Mm-hmm. It's to promote a relationship with with God. And in promoting that relationship with God, as I said before, it's just being a believer. It's to, it's deciding. You know what? I'm going to get on the belief side of life, and and know that 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 it's my belief that's going to determine every action that I take. It's going to determine. What I think about when I wake up, it's going to determine what my core values are, what matters most to me, and and that's what's so important. So the way I would answer the question is that all truth is God's truth, but ultimately Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and those that come to the Father must come through me. So, So obviously that's my belief. Well, didn't Prophet Muhammad say the same thing to his followers? You know, I don't think so. No? Um, I don't think he said that I'm the only way to God. Right. Jesus did say that. Okay. But I think, I think the, 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 the prophet Muhammad, with the way I would say it, and again, I'm not an expert on, on, on the prophet. You and me Muhammad, both. But, but, the, but just by virtue that he was a prophet, Jesus, we don't refer to Jesus as the prophet Jesus. We refer to Jesus as the king of kings. We refer to Jesus as the Lord of Lords. Um, and, and that's who we believe that he was, God's one true son. So I don't think there's, there's, and there may be other religions. I'm not an expert on comparative religions, but and that's why I started by saying, I don't think religion was, you know, we, we call religion, religion is a concept, but it's the spiritual dimension of you, not the religious dimension of you that will live eternally. And so you need to develop, you need to focus on developing your spiritual, you know, you can't see a person's beliefs, if I could just say it like this, a person's beliefs are like roots of a tree. You, you, don't, you don't see the roots, but the roots determine how high the tree grows. The, the, the roots determine how healthy the tree is. The roots determine if there's the kind of fruit that's on the tree. So if you look at what you have in life, and there's not the fruit that you want, there's not the results that you want, your tree is not healthy, then one of the greatest things you can do for yourself is to go back and evaluate your own beliefs and begin to develop a winning belief system. And that's what I try to do in the book. I try to help people develop a winning belief system. Well, you mention in the book the 1% that exists within each of us, which is the source of all power to achieve our dreams. Can you explain that in simple terms? Yes. Um, by 1994, or 84, we had discovered through genome research and science 
that 99% of our DNA is all the same. There's only a 1% difference between everybody that ever has been born and everybody that will be born. I call that your 1% factor. And, uh, and what's important is that people realize there's only a 1% difference between you and everyone that's ever been born and everybody that ever will be born. There's only a 1% difference between you and Oprah Winfrey. There's only a 1% difference between uh, you and a Vip Jaswal. There's only a 1% difference between you and Bill Gates. There's only a 1% difference between you and Adolf Hitler. In other words, your 1% is up to you to discover, develop, and deploy so that through your fingertips, your fingerprints can come greatness and not evil. Through your fingerprint can be the evidence of a 1% that goes into the world that nobody else has but you. I call that the glory of God. Uh, well, my wife would disagree. She says there's a 100% difference between me and her. <laughs> well, if I could just expound on that a little bit. Um, you know, Jesus prayed, his longest prayer in Scripture is in John 17. And in verse 22, he says, God, you've given me your glory. Now I give it to them. I believe Vip, that that 1% difference that every human on the, earth, on the face of the earth has is the glory of God. I believe that we can discover a part of God in us, but we've got to discover it. If we'll develop it, it becomes a 1% that the world has never seen, and it's deployed, and it, it's manifested as the greatness of God through well, every individual life. Well, we just received a tweet from Amanda Runnels, and she says, how does a person identify their 1%? Well, I think it's, a, it, and, and again, um, that's, that is what I'm trying to accomplish in the book, is to help people understand that. Mm-hmm. It's re- it really starts with what I call, Vip, your think, be, do. Um, how you think determines how you'll be. How you be, if I can use that as English, will determine what you do. And your think plus your be plus your do determines what you have in life. So if you can look at it as an equation... You, you begin to discover your 1% by looking at how you think. So it's my think, it's my be, it's my do. Just look at it as the equation. Think plus be plus do equals have. So if I look at any area of my life and I don't like what I have, if I'll be willing to, to go back to how I think. And again, let's, let's, let's look at 9-11, what you brought up in the very beginning. What do we have as a result of 9-11 in this country? Well, go back to the way that we think. It could be that we could get on the side of thinking very negative and thinking uh, every, every Muslim in the world is a terrorist. We could think that way very easily. We could think that way. Um, we could think, uh, you know, that's the worst thing that's ever happened. New York will never recover. It's, it'll never be the same. It's going to be, so in other words, you can go down that road of thinking or you can, you can think completely different and begin to get on the proactive and the positive side of life and not only declare we're going to rebuild, uh, it's going to be better than ever. And I would say that New York today is better than New York was in 2001. I think most people would agree with that. I think their, their economy is better even in the midst of this negative economy. Mm -hmm. I think the state of America is better 
When I say the state of America, I mean the state of America's mind. America, America didn't become more hateful towards Muslims because of what Islamic terrorists did. In fact, Americans embrace Muslims more than they ever have. Have I mean, they really? We, I, thought, I thought they'd be more wary of Muslims as a society. Well, I haven't seen that. I mean, here we are, what, uh, 12 years later, and Al, Al Jazeera television is now in the United States of America. And they've had to struggle. Thought? They've really had to struggle to get on. And who would have ever thought that, though? Who would have ever, in 2001, after 9-11, would there have been one American that thought that an Arab network would be in the United States of America? No way. No way. I'm just telling you. It's surprising to me to this day. But, but it's, it's amazing to me that there's been, in my opinion, more inclusion than there has been exclusion. It goes back to the think-be-do. It goes back to what are you going to do when you've been terrorized? What are you going to do when you've been victimized? Are you going to have a victim mentality? Are you going to have, when you failed, a failure mentality? Mm -hmm. Are you going, in other words, it's not what happens to you that matters most in life. It's what you do with what happens to you. It's what happens in you that's more important than what happens to you. And that's the power of your divine fingerprint. You're the one that decides, how am I going to think about this? How am I going to be about this? What am I going to do with this? And you can change your have by going through that process. Now, you're a pastor, you're also a, a businessman, and You, when you wrote this book, obviously it's just not for your ego. You wanted to get the message across to as many people as possible. Why do you think the American people need a book like yours? Well, Vip, I, you know, I, I'm not presumptuous. And again, with all due respect to your question, I'm not presumptuous to think that they need my book. I, I would hope that they would want my book uh, because... I really do believe your 1% factor that we've talked about. 99% of our DNA is all the same. Red, yellow, black, and white, regardless of what our ethnicity is, regardless of what time in history that we're born, we're 99%. You, you see pictures of people walking down major streets, whether it's Singapore, New York, Los Angeles, uh, around the world. You see this, you know, on our planet, uh, you know, seven plus billion people. Um, You, you see, you know, you, you can just begin to think we're all just the same, and yet there's this 1% difference that each individual has, that if they'll, it's the force, really, that makes you unstoppable. If that, if, if that 1% materialized in everybody, what would America look like? Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I, I love the story, um, and I didn't tell this story in my book, by the way, but I love the story. It reminds me. After the Los Angeles Lakers won the championship mm -hmm. under Pat Riley for the first time, he met with the team, and he said, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this next year. I'm going to ask everybody just to improve 1%. And if everybody will improve 1%, then we'll improve 5% and 10%, and it'll grow exponentially, and we'll win another championship. And that's exactly what they did. What would happen, Vip? If I really discovered, if I really developed, if I really deployed my 1% into my family, if I brought the best of me into the worst of every situation, it would become better. 
if I brought the best of me into the best of every situation, it would become better than you could ever imagine. And that's the way it is in a marriage. It's Marriage is never 50-50. It's a myth. That's why 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's never 50-50. It's always somebody bringing more at some point than somebody else. It's the same way in your job. Vip, you know this, you're... You're, you do way more than your job pays you to do. You know, you don't need me to tell you that. Nobody knows the work it takes to be who you are, where you are. Well, that's part of you developing your 1% and bringing your 1% that makes anything that you're associated with better and makes things that they thought could, couldn't get any better better because you keep bringing your 1%. Well, we had a question from... One of the listeners, uh, I think the Twitter address is at Sealight. And, and, and the person's asked, for those that want to jump, start careers, relationships, life in general, where do they start? And in parentheses, what matters most? Yes, very good. Uh, here, here's what I would say, Vip. Uh, I talk about your think me do. We've already kind of discussed that. Mm-hmm. But then one of the things about your divine fingerprint is your core values. It's you deciding what it is that matters most. I can't decide that for you, Vip. You can't decide that for me. Uh, You have a family. You have a son. You can't decide that for your son. I can't decide that. I've got three beautiful children. I can't decide that for them. In other words, a part of your divine fingerprint, a part of your 1% uh, is deciding what what is it that matters most. So for me, for instance, and I go into this uh, and talk about my, my five top core values. I have ten, but my five top core values are, number one, close relationship with God. Number two, close relationship with my spouse. Number three, close relationship with my children. Well, those first three core values have one common denominator, and that's relationship. So relationships really matter to me. The fourth thing is health. Health matters to me, even though my voice sounds horrible and I've been struggling a little bit with my own, you know, sickness. But but health matters to me, so I work out every day. I, I eat right most of the time. Health matters. And then fifth is to contribute time, knowledge, and money. So that's part of the book. That's part of why I speak, uh, both to, in the church world and the corporate world, because my core value is to contribute my time, is to contribute my my money is to contribute my knowledge to the world. Once you begin to decide what matters most, again, what awakens in your divine fingerprint being deployed to the earth is that what matters most to you are called core values. That begins to attract people in your life who either have the same core values or they see what you value most and, and see you living your life and living a core values-based life and it attracts them to you. Well, do we, do we in America have core values in society anymore? I mean, you travel around the U.S. What's your view of the American culture in today's world? Do you think it's improved? It's declined? Uh, do you think the concept of core values exists? That's why I'm trying to, to really talk about that. You know, 10 years ago, nobody had hardly ever heard, I'd say 10 to 15 years ago, and certainly in the last 10 years, that even the importance of core values have been brought to the surface. Uh, And what I mean by that is, you know, core values are those things that matter most to you. 
uh, so, that, so that you can live a life that most matters. So many people go through life because they never define what their core values are, which is a part of you discovering and developing your 1%, because they never decide. Then they never live a life that matters most. They never, live, they never make a life that matters most. I think when it comes to America, somebody yesterday said, have you seen the new $100 bill? And they had to be the $100 bill, and it's very cool. If you haven't seen one, it's, they're brand new. And, you know, one of the reasons, by the way, just a side note, that we have to, to keep reprinting money and changing money is because of the counterfeiters around the world. A lot of people don't know that. But, but like in North Korea, North Korea is one of the biggest counterfeiters in the world. Well, they, they, they try to do that to bring down the economy. So you have these new bills like this new American or this new $100 bill that came out. Well, I flipped it over, and sure enough, on the back it says, In God We Trust. My first thought when, when the person showed me this yesterday was, well, at least on our money, we're still saying it. You know, at least we're still saying, in God we trust, even though there's been a, a big movement for years to try to get that taken off of our money. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that at all. Um, but in your travels, what's your view of the American culture today in comparison to the past? Well, the, the in God we trust part, is would be a core value. That's in other words, if it's on your money, it's it's in God we trust. Even mm-hmm. though we don't see that in our country as much, I think the country, um, I think the, our, our country as a whole is struggling with core values. I think uh, I what agree matters with you. most, what matters most is political agendas. Those are not core values. Those are agendas. What matters most in our country is issues because people are not living a core values based life. They take on issues that matter most rather than living their core values from the inside out. Well, talking about leaders, um, at Sea Light, the same listener sent in another question asking you, what do you believe to be the greatest transformational insight you could give to leaders in Washington? Um, number one, that self-leadership is not only the most important thing that you'll do, but it's the, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And what I don't see in Washington is a transformational leadership. And what I mean by that is I see people talking theoretical leadership, but they're not, they're not living leadership. True leaders that live a core values-based life, their personal life reflects it so that their professional life should have authority to enact and make it happen. For instance, there is no government shutdown when the Congress is still getting paid, when the president is still getting paid. If you want to have a government shutdown that would, that would change, then stop the Congress's pay, stop the senator's pay, stop the president's oh, we'll pay. We'll never have a shutdown then. And I promise you, we would never have a shutdown. <laughs> None of them would vote on that. So that's what I mean. It's theoretical leadership. It's like I've seen over and over, Vip, and I know you have too, people that get up and say stuff, I mean, you know, I'm going to say this with all due respect, and please hear my heart. You, you're, when you're the proponent of health care and you're a smoker, you're a theorist. You're not a transformational leader. And here the president has hung his whole political career on Obamacare, and that's, he had to stop smoking because of that. It wasn't like... Well, my core value is to be healthy. My core value is to make sure that what goes into my body is good things. No, 
He was a theorist, and he hung his political career on Obamacare so he can't be a smoker, at least publicly. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying that to, to rail him. I'm just saying that's what's wrong with leadership. You've got people that got a cigarette in one hand and then talking about, well, let's get health care for everybody. And yet when somebody is making a decision to smoke a cigarette and on the label it says, warning, this may cause cancer, and they know what they're doing is driving up health care in the United States of America, they can have whatever agenda they have, but they're not a true leader. So I know that comes across strong, but that's the way I feel. Well, I'd rather you be strong than just, you know, sit in the middle of the fence. At Jessica Skid asked, can you explain what it means to act your way into a feeling instead of feeling your way to an action? Yes, uh, I think that's very, very important. Um, you know, again, we're talking about your divine fingerprint. Mm-hmm. We're talking about you not being... Um, a person that sits on the reactive side of life to where if something good happens and you feel good, if something bad happens, you feel bad. We're talking about one of the greatest things that you can ever do is to understand that you can lead yourself to act your way into a feeling rather than feel your way into an action. And so many people wait in their marriage. They wait on their job. They wait in life to feel it before they do it. And and when you get on the proactive side of life and you begin to lead yourself, you begin to take action based on the future that you want. You let your beliefs uh, and your core values move you into taking action to where you don't have to feel it to do it. You know, today, I didn't necessarily feel like uh, getting up, but I got up. I didn't necessarily feel like when my voice sounds like this to talk on a radio, but I'm acting my way into a feeling. In other words, my feelings are not going to dictate my actions. My actions are going to dictate my feelings. That's when you begin to be empowered. In your marriage, you don't love because you feel like it. You love because it's a choice. In your parenting, in your family, you don't, you don't just have to feel something to be able to take action. You take action with your children. You take action with your spouse based on what you know are going to produce the results that you want without having to feel it. I had a pastor friend of mine one time. He had a big piece of lead on his desk. I said, what is that? I mean, it was huge. It was the size of a sword. He said, this is what I hand people when they say, I don't feel lead. You know? So anyway, it's very funny. Well, in your book, I mean, you say, think, be, do. So in other words, you're saying evaluate, feel, and act. Am I right? Well, well, no, because I see your being is way more than feeling. Your your think is cognitive for sure, mm-hmm. but then your being is taking action. It has nothing to do with feel. That's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. So if being Something is there, act, if being is acting, into be, your, your being, then what is doing? Well, well, here's what I would say. Mm. You're, you, when you think, okay, that's the cognitive part of you. And then once you get to be, you are making a choice, okay? And you're making your, your choice to act your way into a feeling. Let's just use that for a minute. Well, then what you're doing is specific actions based on how you've chosen to be in your life. You know, so I've chosen to be core values-based. Well, that, in other words, here's what matters most to me. And then the do part of that is here's what I need to do right now to align my life with my core values. 
So I need to begin to think that way and be that way and do that way. So being more than just a feeling, it's, the, it, it, it's really the choice to, to say, I'm going to be, and I'll just use the core values, I'm going to be a person that knows what matters most, and then today I'm going to do and take actions based on what matters most. So before you wrote the book, obviously you evaluated all of this and, and set up this process. Do you have an example in recent times that you actually used this formula to execute and it, that it achieved success? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's really every day, honestly, Vip. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, if, if you'd allow me to just for a second, I'll go back to when I first used this uh, process. Uh, I was 15 years old. And in 1970, that was January 1976, January 20th, 1976, that I asked uh, my now my wife, which is my girlfriend back then, but I asked her that day to be my girlfriend. She said, well, yeah, I said, wait, before you answer, and I took out a piece of paper and I drew a triangle. And I said, this is you on one side, on the left, this is me on the right, this is God at the top. If you'll be your best for God, and I'll be my best for God, we'll reach the top. In other words, so we, we began this conversation of the, the triad, you know, be, became the, the think, be, do. Let's, let's be people that, that first and foremost think excellence. Let's be our best for God. And I didn't say it this way, but I did on the triangle. But I, didn't, I wasn't able to process it this way when I was 15 years old. But, but what I was saying was, listen, let's, let's be your best. So that starts with thinking excellence. And then, and then let's, let's, let's decide to be that for God before we be that for each other. Let's be our best. And then thirdly, let's do our best. So let's, let's think that way. And in the process, that, that's what I teach today in, in corporate America and really all over. But just is I draw that triangle. And that's where it all starts, on the left think, on the right be, on the top do. So just to have that process in your life. So it started with my relationship that now 453 months later, I told her, I said, listen, on this day, January 20th, every month, I'm going to celebrate you as long as as we're together. That was 453 months ago. Well, again, that's what matters most to me. That's how I think. That's how I be. That's how I do. That started with that little triangle um, you know, way back then. Well, now you're a pastor. If you had to choose one, what does God want more? Success in ourselves or our faith in Him? I think our faith in Him is the premise for our success in ourselves. So certainly I think faith in God comes be- before success. I think, you know, how how you define success, I think, is very important. Um, and How do you define so, success? Well, success has a lot of definitions, mm. but, but the way that I define success is really to discover <laughs> your, that you do have a 1%, uh, it, to, to begin to develop your, what I call your fingerprint power. Your fingerprints, when you're in the womb, are the first thing to develop, and when you die, they're the last thing to leave. And so that shows how important your fingerprint is. And again, it's not just from a technological standpoint to to identify you or forensic standpoint to identify you at the scene of a crime, but it's to really develop that fingerprint part of you that nobody else has. And then finally, success is knowing what your gifts, what your talents are that become competencies that you begin to lead yourself to, to be the best that you can be. And if you do that, you can be paid very well for that. But, but kind of just, 
to, to boil it down, success is really a discovery of your 1%. It's a development of your fingerprint, and it's a deployment of your greatness into the world. Based on your research, do you think we as individuals and, and, and followers of God, do you think we have limitations or we have no limitations? That's a good question. I, I think we I think we have unlimited potential, but I think I think there must be a boundary somewhere. Though. Yeah, it, here, here's what I would say. I think I think that we all have God-given potential. In fact, that's one of my desires is to help people reach their full God-given potential. I, I want I want to spend my life helping other people reach their full God-given potentials, which is why I wrote the book. But but the thing I would say about potential is this. Your potential is your fingerprint. Your potential is your 1%. Your potential is you discovering, developing, and deploying that. In other words, yes, there is a limit on, 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 on our capacity. But part of, part of uh, leadership and leading yourself, and, and we talk about this, in leading yourself, what you do is you have a chance to in- increase your capacity by personally growing and developing so that you can empower others to do the same. And, and part of reaching your potential is not just having a what's-in-it-for-me attitude, but developing your greatness, developing your genius. And I talk about that, that you have a, everybody has a genius in them. And it's developing that genius part of you, that God part of you, that, that makes everything around you better. Because here's the truth. And Gandhi said it. He said this. He said, you know, one time he was on a, on a train and he was – uh, he, a shoe fell out of the, the car that he was riding in. And all of a sudden, he took it off his other shoe and he threw it out. And somebody said, why did you do that? He said, so the person that finds one shoe will find the other shoe. And, 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 and then he went on to talk about be the change that you want to see. And I think, I think again, all truth is God's truth. I think if people will understand that there is a, there's potential within them that don't compare it to anybody else. Personally grow, commit yourself to personally grow and to develop, and you'll find out that you empower others not just to have one shoe but two shoes in life to get them to a place that they thought they could never be. But, you know, you could grow um, through training, through knowledge, but there is always going to be that silent barrier that exists beyond which you can't grow anymore i think yeah that and getting to that level might just not be good enough to contribute to society as a whole because someone else who's doing something similar has actually achieved far greater expertise or skill well, here, here's the way I would respond to that, Viv, mm. is that you're not trying to be better than anybody. My, my goal is to help people be the best they can be. And if you'll be the best you can be, if you'll bring that 1% of you that nobody else has, if you'll begin to discover, develop, and deploy that, and you'll bring that to your family, if you'll bring that to your job, if you bring – guess what? That, again, you will be depositing, taking the deposit of God's glory in you and bringing it into whatever sphere that you're in. It's not about competing with somebody else. But when you're the best that you can be, that's really all God requires of us. And I think that's what I want to inspire in people. But as individuals, we want to be the best. 
I mean, for me, it's no use working hard, uh, pulling out all-nighters, if, if I'm not going to be the best. And for me, yeah. being the best is beating number two. Yeah. Well, let me – well, again, if, it's just philosophical in this sense. Mm. Just don't make it so much about competing with others as competing to be your best. And in the process, you will be because everybody – you will be better – but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is if you'll be the best that you can be, then you'll you'll see the benefits of that, and everybody else in your life will become the beneficiary of you thinking, being, and doing life that way. And and the problem, Biff, is that most people don't think that way. They would like to be better than somebody else, but here's what it boils down to. We all have some gifts. We all have some talents. The better I develop, and again, personal growth and development, self-leadership, the more I lead myself to develop my gifts and talents, those become competencies. Those competencies, that becomes whether I'm, like I was an athlete. My son is an athlete, but he's, he wasn't that great of an athlete. I was a college athlete. I was recruited by the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I was an athlete. My son was not that. Early on, I, I realized that. So my job as his father was not to make him like me, but my job as his father was to help him discover what he was best at. He's great at computers. He's more brilliant than I am. When he was 10 years old, I sat down with him. I said, look, you're, you're smarter than me, but I'm your father. You know? And so my, my job was to help bring out the best in him, not make him like me. And that's what I would say to everybody. So if I was but to I, understand it correctly, I'm trying to be better than who I was yesterday. Absolutely. And, and then and tomorrow I'll have to be better than who I was today. And you're succeeding when you do that. There is a level of what I call confidence. Mm -hmm. Let's just call it confidence for people. A level of confidence that comes with you knowing, hey, I'm making, I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. I'm going to, I'm going to do something, whether it's about my weight, whether it's about my finances, I'm going to do at least one or two things today towards getting better. And everybody can do that. That's what I'm saying. You can act your way into a feeling. Don't wait till you feel that, but begin to act as if that is going to happen. And because of your beliefs and your core values, begin to take action. And the, the, the incremental, incremental changes that take place in your life will produce the greatness that, that you have the potential to reach in your life. So it's a journey of actions, repetitively trying to be better than who you were moments ago. Well, uh, let, me, let me give you the that, – that's the positive. Let me give you the negative. Mm. Repeated actions over and over that are not healthy and positive determine, uh, turn into bad habits. And a person that's an alcoholic, a person that's a drug addict, a person that is a sexaholic, gambling, whatever, people that have addiction problems, it's not just because they have some kind of addictive personality. Right. But what it is is – it's doing the same thing over and over and over that create a habit force in their life that pretty soon they're not deciding anymore. They've, they've developed an instinctive, inherent consistency within the context of their DNA that now drives all of their behavior. If that happens in the negative, it can happen in the positive. What's been the feedback on your book so far? It's been very good. Um, our... Uh, our publishers nominated us for the Leadership Book of the Year with CEO Reads, and we're excited about that. So it's got, you know, in the first couple of weeks, it's gotten great traction. And uh, we're just, you know, we're grateful. I just really, 
Again, more than we, of course, we hope at some point it'll be a bestseller. But the most important thing is I want to get this message out to people. I want to help them and uh, just help them reach their full God-given potential. And where do you go from here? You're going to write another book? Uh, I, you know, I think uh, I'm 53, and I think you know I want to spend my life um, in, in what I call my best and highest use. And I think now that I've, I've, I've you know, kind of crested that 50 year mark. I think that one of my best and highest use in the future will be to write things that outlive me that hopefully will empower people to reach, again, their, their full God-given potential, discovering their divine fingerprint. I think, the, I think it is revelational in the sense that, that we all know we have a fingerprint that nobody else has. But one, one thing, Vip, is this. You know, H2O is water around the world wherever you go. <laughs> But it's amazing when water gets into a different atmosphere, a drop of water, it becomes a snowflake. And that there are no two snowflakes alike, and yet it's just a drop of water. Well, how does that happen? How does a drop of water become a snowflake like there's never been before? Well, you get it into a different atmosphere. That's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to help take people's DNA, their H2O, help them get into a different atmosphere of their mind first and foremost, so that they can become not just unique in and of themselves, but so that their uniqueness, which is their greatness, can be the force that makes them unstoppable in the world. Well, thank you for coming on the show and wishing you all the success on your book, Keith. Well, Vip, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure, and if I can ever help you in any way, let me know. All right, sir, and it's Mr. Kraft, not Croft. I, I do like Croft. I like that. I like that <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. For more fascinating stories, log on to foxnewsradio.com and click on to the VIP Jazzwell Report and keep your ears open for the next airing of the VIP Jazzwell Report coming soon.